Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Good to be here again. You can turn with me to the book of Jude. We just had a Sunday school lesson on this about two weeks ago, and it was um, actually in the Sunday school class where I decided what I wanted to preach the next Sunday, which I did at Strasburg, and I will here too. The title is Earnestly Contend for the Faith. And we're familiar with the book of Jude, and that phrase comes out of verse 3. And sitting in class that day, I uh, got to looking at the scripture and thinking about it, and well, okay, so at some point or other, I actually wrote some commentary on that lesson, I'm sure, but it was far enough ago, I don't remember what I wrote. And it just struck me in a, a different way than it had. All right, so what does it mean to contend? To struggle, to agonize, to strive for the faith. Be talking about false teachers. When you read this book, you find these people in the church that are living wrongly. Actually, doesn't call them false teachers, by the way. But where in the New Testament are we ever commanded to be contentious? And I guess that was partly, partly what was in my mind. I tend to think of that word contend as uh, fighting against someone. But you don't find that in the book of Jude at all. The word contend, the Greek word that it's translated from, it's only used once. It's actually a, just a stronger form of another word that means to struggle, to compete for a prize, to contend with an adversary, to endeavor to accomplish something. And then I thought, well, I'm going to look it up in English. And the uh, Merriam-Webster's oldest definition is to strive or vie in contest or rivalry, rivalry or against difficulties, to contend. And so it looks to me like uh, Jude is saying we need to be struggling for, striving for, endeavoring to accomplish something. But it just struck me again, he was not saying you're supposed to be out striving against these people that he's talking about. Now, it may be that uh, some of us are sometimes called to, quote, contend with false teachers. But anyway, all right, let's read the book. <clears throat> Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, once for all delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, 
but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even the Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of things which they know not, and what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and run, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. All right. Earnestly contend for the faith. And so my first question is, what is the faith? We're to earnestly contend for it. Is it a system of doctrines that we know as Christianity? That's one definition for the faith, I'm sure. I'm not sure that that's what he's talking about here. In fact, I don't think it is. Well, what is faith? This faith that was once for all delivered. Well, it's believing God. It's Jesus Christ. It's his Holy Spirit coming into us and rebirthing us and making us alive and keeping us spiritually alive and renewing us in a relationship with God. That's 
faith. That's the faith. It's being a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's believing God. We say that, and that's right. It's, Hebrews 11 says, it's uh, seeing the invisible. Well, it doesn't say it exactly that way, but I, I think about that every time I read Hebrews 11. And I'll turn back there and just notice a few little verses. It's interesting to me how often he talks about invisible things. All right, so verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why do we do what we do? Well, we look for something we can't see. We base our lives on something invisible. Verse 3 tells us that the things that are seen were made from invisible things. <laughs> Nothing, in other words. Verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things as not yet seen, or as seen, not, things not seen as yet. Okay. Verse 10 tells us he looked for a city, a city that didn't exist. It was invisible. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. How do you see promises? <laughs> They're invisible. Verse 27, yet Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith is seeing our God who is invisible. We walk by faith, not by sight. We obey our Lord. We don't always see the results, but we know it's the right thing to do. Verse 20, back up there, uh, he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The Spanish says he had his eyes set on the reward. He saw the reward. We walk by faith. That's seeing the invisible. It's believing God's word. It's acting on it. And it's taking God at his word and doing what he says and not necessarily taking the word of men around us and what they say or the world's way of doing things. And so once in a while the world, people in the world look at us and think we're a little odd. Man, why don't you do this or do that? Doesn't make sense to them. We're, we're marching to a different drummer, an invisible one. Sometimes you hear people talk about saving faith. Hebrews 11 doesn't talk about saving faith. It talks about the faith that kept those men right with God, though. Uh, you can't separate belief on the Lord Jesus that brings you into a right standing with God from the belief that keeps us obedient and keeps us in right standing with God. It's all obeying faith, obedient faith is part of the faith, too. Haven't even got to the passage yet. We're going to get there eventually. Let's think some more. What is the faith? <laughs> what is it that we're diligently striving for? All right, so Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Knowing Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
I'm the good shepherd, know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. So faith is being one of his sheep. Read a quote from an early Anabaptist writer, Hans Dink. No one can know Christ unless he follows after him in life. No one can follow him unless he first know him. And that sounds a little circular. It is. I'm going to read it again. No one can know Christ unless he follows after him in life. No one can follow him unless he first know him. Faith is overcoming the world. It's resisting, successfully living above the, the downward, fleshward pull that just comes natural to us. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, John says. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in us, he in me, I in him. Paul says it well in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died, I'm alive, and yet it's not me, it's Christ. The life I live is by him. That's faith. Faith is when I read the word of God, the New Testament, and I find something that God says do or think, a way to think, a way to be for me. That's what I want. I love you and I want to do it. And I set out to do it with all my heart. That's faith. Sometimes faith just to do things that even other Christians look at us and say, oh, that's not necessary. You don't have to do that. No, maybe you don't. But the Lord said what he said, and I love my Lord, I'm it. Faith is knowing God. Knowing God is personal. Hearing God personally, believing God personally, obeying God personally, knowing him, being known of him in person, a relationship. I know him, he knows me. And rejoicing, you've got no excuse to go around with your snoot hanging. Uh, and I do it once in a while, sorry, <clears throat> because I forget. Uh, when God lives in us, we know him, we ought to be rejoicing people because we know the God of creation, the sovereign God, personally. And so when I looked at this verse, contend for the faith, what it looks to me like, and I look at the rest of the book, it looks to me like what Jude is saying is not go out there and, false, and fight those false doers, but rather don't let those interlopers fool you into doing the same thing they're doing. Living the way they're living. Making the choices they're living. These people have crept into the church, he says. They're there. And then you get to the end of the book and he tells us, gives some more definite instruction on how to build up ourselves. So, we're going to look at these 
false doers first in verses 4 down through 19 or so and take their bad examples and think what the opposite is what Jude expects of us what God expects of us the opposite of all these things these are not the ways of faith and when we make choices like they made we are not acting in faith so verse 4 they are ungodly they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness so people of faith do not say grace makes me free to do what I please that's what these people were doing grace gives me freedom to sin if I want and uh, Eva was studying for this lesson the other week and she looked up lasciviousness and she said the first word in the definition was licentiousness <laughs> what's that mean well it comes from license is what I told her license I have a license to sin is the idea well no we have no license to sin for brethren Paul says, you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace does. It teaches us how to live right, and it empowers us to do it too. And so these people were saying, God's grace gives me the right to do what I want. You go on in verse 4, Jude says, denying the Lord God and the Lord Jesus. To claim to have a right to sin, you are denying Jesus Christ as Lord. That's fairly obvious when you stop to think about it. People of faith claim Jesus Christ as Lord and they serve him and they obey him as Lord. Verse 5, and the next couple of verses, Jude gives some examples. He says, I want to remind you that God delivered all of the Jews out of Israel, but many of them died because of unbelief, because of disobedience. Faith continues, and faith does not continue. It's no longer faith. Verse 6, even the angels who rebelled. God punished. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. God punished them. That's the point. God punishes sinfulness. Even in people who have exercised faith and come into the church, if they turn away from God, if they start living selfishly, if they make their own lives instead of letting him make their lives, they'll be lost too. Verse 8, people of faith see reality. Now, I take that from that word dreamers. You notice the word filthy is in italics, which means it's not in the Greek. These people are dreamers. They are disconnected from the reality of God and sin. What he's just told them in these verses ahead. And, and they'll say things like, sure, God said that, but, but he forgives, so it doesn't matter. Or, yeah, I know, this is what the book says, but, but I don't 
feel like doing that. You're dreaming. You're disconnected from the reality of what God is and what he said and what he will do. He made it plain. God is a merciful God, and he's got plenty of mercy for ignorance. He's got plenty of mercy for those that repent. But for willful ignorance, disobedience, rebellion, unrepented of, there'll be no mercy. Keep going in verse 8. They, uh, these people defile the flesh. People of faith are concerned about purity. They don't defile their flesh the way the people there in the verse just before, Sodom and Gomorrah, did. Mentions fornication. It mentions going after strange flesh, which was probably the uh, homosexuality, seems the idea, uh, contrary to nature. Brute pleasures. He uses that word brute a little later down in verse 10. The things that come naturally. Well, what was the sin of Sodom anyway? If you were to look at Ezekiel, it says this, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. If we started a list of the sins of Sodom, we wouldn't start there. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Now, he did go on and finish. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So, people are concerned about being pure. They don't want to defile themselves. Keep going. They respect authorities. These false doers despise dominion. They reject authority. People of faith are respectful to their authorities and to authority. I can think of a young man that I knew was a church member, conservative church, and uh, Seemed like he never found an authority he could like or get along with. He couldn't hold a job, couldn't get along with authority. He was always saying what they did wrong, going on to the next thing. It was never his fault. It was always their fault. And if that uh, <laughs> describes you, you probably need to repent and take a look at your life. to speak disrespectfully of their authorities or of those in high positions. They, these false doers, they speak evil of dignities, superior powers, whatever you want to call them. People of faith are not arrogant toward powerful people or beings, and you have that example there in verse 9. Yes, I know we think that's a strange example, but it's there, and Jude used it because it was something that he had read. He quoted from a number of other, a couple places here, but anyway. 
and we don't know anything about it, and yet it does illustrate what he's saying. Michael the archangel contending with the devil who would not even say something railing, would not put him down, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He was careful. You don't speak evil of things you don't understand. People of faith don't do that. They don't, well, that's the next verse. Verse 10, they speak, these people were speaking evil of things they knew not. The word speak evil of there, by the way, is blaspheme in the Greek, just saying bad things about. And so people of faith don't go around talking about how their government is doing everything wrong in relation to Ukraine, Israel, taxes, uh, COVID, uh, well, whatever, however you want to put it. It's People of faith recognize they don't know everything and that it's not their business to speak evil of people who are in power. It never ceases to amaze me how armchair politicians have all the answers. But, uh, well, okay, they remind me of those people in Proverbs. The in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. The Proverbs writer said, and we if we've all stopped to think about it, we've seen people like that, and once in a while, probably been like that. <clears throat> oh well, where we spout off and think we've got the answers, and well, okay. And lest I forget again, we're looking at these things because these things are not faith. And when we do them, we are not acting in faith. And so uh, they're good negative examples to help us do what's right. All right. <clears throat> Verse 10 also has that as brute beast there. And so people of faith are not out just to please the flesh. They're not out just to satisfy their selfish desires. Verse 11, woe unto them, they've gone the way of Cain. People of faith do not stubbornly insist on doing it my way. And for you men and adult men, number three, here's another example of worship. Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. And you see how God saw that. But there's no only worship that people do that in. Balaam. They don't care about money. People of faith don't care about money. They aren't out there just trying to look righteous while under the service they're maneuvering for gain. That's what Balaam was about. He had his eye on the reward. And yes, God said, no, you can't do that. And so he didn't, but he found a way to get the reward, to get what he wanted. Korah perished in the gainsaying of Korah, and so people of faith refuse to resist or rebel against authority. They don't rise up and say, well, I'm just as holy as you are, and I have some rights too. That's what Korah did. And Moses said, okay, sure, go ahead. And if you don't know what happened, go read it. <laughs> 
And you spell it K-O-R-A-H in the Old Testament if you want to find it. <clears throat> okay. So in verse 12, these people that are living that way, there's spots in your agapes, your feast of charity. They had an agape feast, love feast in the church. And here they are. They're just eating right along with you. And you kind of get the idea that, the, okay, they're gluttons. People of faith are not gluttons. They don't just keep on feeding that little God that they call their belly over much. That's what speaks to me because I enjoy fellowship meals. And it's a little hard sometimes not to go home overstuffed. And... And people say, oh, yeah, but you're not overweight. But guess what? It's <laughs> Some days it's a little hard to stop and keep things where they belong. But these people don't care. People of faith do care. They have substance. They're not just empty clouds carried about. They have real fruit, and they have real roots, by the way, and so they're not swayed about by every new thing that comes down the line. Just read about, uh, I think it was a Pilgrimage man that uh, read the Book of Mormon and said, hey, you know, sounds okay, and away he went to the Mormons. And there it was, false teaching. But, well, so, not clouds, not carried about by every wind of doctrine. They have roots. These people that he's talking about were twice dead. They were spiritually dead before, and apparently they're dead again spiritually. We're twice alive. We were born of the flesh, and now we're born of the spirit. They, to them, is reserved the, how do you say it? The blackness of darkness forever for us is reserved light forever. For those of us who walk by faith. Now verses 14 and 15 simply reminding them that God is going to judge the evildoers of the ungodly showing up in there well as a as a noun and as a, an adjective a couple of times, about four times, I think. Christ will judge the evildoer when he comes. He will reward the faithful when he comes, receive them into glory. So verse 16, these people, people of faith are not murmurers. They're not grumblers, I think the New King James says. Uh, those of you who've been to school in the last 30 years and can remember that far, murmur is an onomatopoeic word. It's a word that uh, sounds like what it means. Anybody who's had a responsibility over a group of young people or even maybe children if there's a number in the family or even adults know what murmuring is. It's when somebody's over at the side and you hear this murmur, 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 murmur. And you don't know what they're saying. Well, maybe you think you do. <laughs> but it goes on. Don't, people of faith don't do that. They're not complainers. 
These are murmurers and complainers. They don't complain. They don't quarrel. <laughs> the Spanish says, that was interesting. They learn to go with the flow, take their knocks and, and know that God is using them for good <laughs> and grow from them. People of faith are not self-centered. They're not out walking after their own lust, verse 16. They're not self-centered. They don't give their own desires first place. And as I look down through this passage, this is almost a refrain. When you stop to look at it closely, it's just self, 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 self. And, well, that's where we live <laughs> And we need to contend pretty earnestly to keep self in place. People of faith do not brag. Talks about their great swelling words. They're careful not to try to make themselves look too good. We call it humility, I guess, on the other side. People of faith are not manipulating others to get their own way, to gain money, to gain recognition. Here it talks about having men's persons in, ad in admiration because of advantage. People of faith don't show favoritism. They don't use flattery in order to get people to do what they want them to do or to get something from them. Come to verse 17, and you have a little change of direction where Jude speaks directly to people of faith. Beloved, what the apostles said, there will come mockers and people who live ungodly. Don't be surprised, it will happen. And so, verse 18, there will be mockers. People of faith do understand that uh, they may get mocked sometimes. Probably will get mocked sometimes. They don't mind having others consider them naive. I mean, you still believe that stuff? And you've got cancer and are going to die in a few weeks and you still believe God is good? Or, you know, any all kinds of things. You still walk by faith? You still believe the impossible? <laughs> I do. And so the mockers will come. And again, they're walking after their own ungodly lust. They're self-serving. Verse 19, people of faith are not holding themselves aloof from the body. From the brotherhood, people of faith are brotherhood people. They don't separate from the body. That's not saying there never comes a time that needs to happen. We know that. But they're working to be one with the body and to build it up. People of faith are spiritual, not sensual. It says these people are sensual, having not the spirit. We have the spirit of God if we're walking by faith. And we're not just 
letting the senses and what we feel like rule us. We're minding instead the Spirit of God. And so we get to verse 20, and uh, Jude turns the corner and begins again. We who are people of faith, but ye beloved, building, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Here's how to grow in faith. Be a builder of yourself and of each other. So what did I do last week to build my faith? What did I do to build my brother's faith, my sister's faith? Build up yourself in your most holy faith. So think about the most holy part. Holy is a word that means sanctified, set apart holy to God, we could say, fully to God. Given fully to him. Am I holy? Am I fully his? Your most holy faith. <laughs> Trust God, believe God, even when you see no evidence. Do you have faith? Do you walk by faith and not by sight? Am I trusting? Am I obeying? Am I walking in faith? If you want to build up, it takes some exercise. And, and we live in a society where you don't need a lot of faith for your daily bread, for your needs. We've got it pretty easy. And sometimes faith just might be a little harder for us than it is for someone in the Ukraine where the bombs are exploding and the walls are crumbling and the cold is getting colder and the hunger is getting sharper and, and they need to trust God there. We're just as needy. Do you believe that? <laughs> We are just as needy as they are. Well, okay, not physically, maybe. Keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 20. You get the idea, it takes a little effort. Contend to keep that faith. Love like God does, keep it, practice it. Do I love, or the words I speak loving show that I love? Looking for the mercy of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust God to do his part, but we hope in his mercy. We know we need it. I guess we know we need it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the thing God, things God does for us. It's mercy. And if we don't have it, we're done. Do I recognize my need? I just need to keep on doing that until the end. I think we get to the end there. Unto eternal life. And so the next couple of verses, be compassionate, care about people, reach out to others, help them, love people, want them to be saved, reach out to them, make a difference where you can, but hate the sin. Uh, give attention to yourself unless you also be tempted. Take action to save people, but do it carefully. 
Some you save with fear, snatching them out of the fire. Do I care about people? Whether it's those out there or those in here, am I doing my part? Do I care? Do I love? And then you have that doxology at the end. Christ is everything. Christ is central. Christ is what our faith is about. He is our faith. Now unto him that is going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. So keep him central. Salvation is in him. Salvation is him. Faith is him. Let's make sure we know him. We're following him. We are known of him that we are joyfully living in him and he in us. And there's glory ahead. Let's contend for the faith.